Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you for being here. If you're new, let me welcome you. My name is Danny. Uh, I do speak here quite often, but throughout this quickening series, uh, it's been great. We've had a lot of, a lot of guests and uh, we're going to continue to have a lot of guests throughout the rest of the summer, uh, but I'm going to be hosting and a part, and it's allowed me to, to connect with different aspects of the church. Like, I've been kind of able to walk through children's. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to do that, ever walk through children's uh, and see all that they do, but it's, it's quite amazing. I'm in here most of the time, so it's been great to be able to connect with them and appreciate Pastor Keith and his team, uh, along with all the other volunteers that help out around here, the people who put together the hot dog feeds, which I think we have another one of those coming up here in the next few weeks we're going to talk to you about. So uh, it's, just, it's just a great time to, to be the church and to be a part of uh, our community. And so I just want to thank all those people that make this happen. All, I think we have about 145 volunteers that set up and tear down Kessid. And uh, every single Sunday, and all, none of this is here, by the way. Some people are like, do you guys just leave this up? And I'm like, no, 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 we don't. So uh, I just, can we just appreciate all those people, children's, the volunteers. It's really, really special. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I've been so grateful to be able to, to roll through different teams and encourage and check on them and see them. And so it's been great. Um, we're in a series right now called The Quickening. And if you're new... Uh, every symbol represents a different topic within the series, and today we're going to use uh, the symbol of fire to represent something I don't think people usually recognize fire as bringing, which is hope. Uh, this symbol, for the most part, is, uh, is not used in that way, but it just hit me as I was putting together today's talk that this was the symbol that we were supposed to use for today. And I'll be honest with you, uh, about the last 10 days or so, because I'm pretty vulnerable, sometimes too vulnerable according to some, um, uh, I have felt kind of disconnected spiritually. Uh, nothing, nothing big, nothing small, nothing uh, heavy that I'm lifting, nothing light that I'm going through, but just sort of just apathetic and kind of average in my walk. I, I don't feel distant but I don't feel close. And so as I was prepping this talk, I actually was a little nervous because normally if I'm distant, then that fires me up to drive in. And normally if I'm really close, that fires me up to pour out. But I'm in this very strange kind of middle place. And it's probably because it's middle of summer. Uh, we're turning a big corner in our building project. And so that's exciting, but we're also not there yet. Uh, my wife and I celebrated our 20th anniversary, so the next one's like 21, like, meh, you know, it's just, it, <laughs> it's just like, it's a big deal to get to 20, but after that, I was like, what do I, is it 40 next? Is that the next big one? So I, I don't know, I just, I just feel sort of, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for that one, aren't I, later, yeah, all right, well, at least I'll be feeling something, so that's good. But uh, uh, as I was, as I was prepping, I was just really feeling that, that uh, God, I, I, uh, I just really want to do and be where you want me to be and, uh, and accomplish what you want me to accomplish. And I don't feel it like I normally do. And I was talking with some friends, and I was encouraged to just sort of be in that spot and see what he does today. And so uh, I'm not complaining. Uh, I'm just being honest. And maybe that ties to a bunch of people. Maybe you're just used to the routine. Maybe you're just used to the rhythm. Maybe this is just another Sunday to you and you're checking another box and it's just another sermon. And, 
And so I want you to know that from my perspective, that's not a good place. That's not a, that's not a fun place. And if you've gotten used to that, uh, I just want to encourage you, that's not how it's supposed to be. And the only way I know to get out of it is to, is to speak it, is to confess it, is to, is to wrestle with it, and to do that in community. Maybe not this much community for most of you, but at least somebody that you can share with and say, I, I'm feeling kind of disconnected. I'm feeling like I'm missing something. And so that's what I'm doing today because I really believe the pulpit and the church is led by God. He is our senior pastor. He is our lead pastor. And the last thing I want to do is get in his way because I'm trying to make something happen or I'm trying to pull something back. And so I wanted to walk on stage today and um, just be authentic with you and then unfold before you whatever it is he has for you to hear. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Let me pray for me and for us, for those who are listening, Lord. We ask that you would just meet us, that, that this place would be a place of authenticity, that it would be a place of challenge, that it would be a place of conviction, that we wouldn't get caught up in the motion, that we wouldn't just get caught up in the tradition, that we wouldn't be people who just uh, check boxes in our spirituality and claim all is good or all is bad. I ask, Lord, that we would just be able to be, be human, be together, be in community, be family. And Lord, I ask for uh, just a connection that only you can bring. I thank you for today. I thank you for the hope that I know you will uh, discover here amongst us. We lift it all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to be in Daniel chapter 3. I I know a lot of you know the story. Some of you don't. Uh, This is going to be an interesting perspective around it. But uh, Daniel chapter 3 is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Recorded in the third chapter of Daniel, the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego provides believers today with strong and lasting lessons, all kinds of different lessons. The imagery that I want to walk through here, uh, if you're not careful, can be, can be sort of pushed into a, a, uh, a, a sort of framework that just isn't realistic, that just doesn't really tie to our everyday lives. I believe, of course, that if you are, if you are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to tie these big and bold images into your life, then they will impact you deeply. But if you're just wanting to be entertained, if you're just wanting to be impressed with with people on the screen outside the reality of everyday life, then that may be all that you leave with today, and yet I hope not. But this story is one that is quite fantastic. The story is unique. It's unique, like many topics within the series, in that this story will resonate differently with different people. I'll put up a quote someone very wise said to me this week. For some, it's literally losing relationships or being ostracized because of their faith. For others, it's not as extreme, but more of a quiet moment where they choose to have their faith shine through in a moment of conviction instead of taking the easy way out. It depends on what you're wrestling with, often how scripture applies to your life. But I can tell you right now that sometimes you don't even know the stuff you're wrestling with or that you're about to wrestle with. And unless you're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to point it out, then you may apply it wrong or ignore it altogether. Today is a chance for you to sit in that middle place and to ask God, okay, how do you apply these big pictures and these big stories to me and the hope that I know you want me to experience? Let's read in Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It sets the best context for exactly what the story is about, and this is what it says. There was a great king, and his name was King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 
whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors of the the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And you notice how many times it points out that King Nebuchadnezzar was the one who set it up. That, that, like five times. Like all it has to say at the beginning is King Nebuchadnezzar is going to set up the statue and then read on. But it's like, oh, by the way, this was King Nebuchadnezzar's doing. Oh, by the way, King Nebuchadnezzar set this up. The idea here, of course, is that in our lives all the time, there will be people driven to power. There will be people driven to have all the focus upon them. And they will work incredibly hard to build things within their story that cause other people to bow down and worship them. It may be an overbearing boss. It may be uh, 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 an overbearing uh, reliance on a certain system. It may be all kinds of different things. You apply it to your life how it best fits. But there's a way in which oftentimes we as people operate that we come up against somebody else's idea or ideal of what it means to live and be in harmony. In this society at this time, the king decided what would bring harmony to everybody was if they worshiped the statue that represented him. And so he put out a decree. You're going to worship the statue that represents me. Because I am all-knowing. I am all-providing. I am the reason behind all the success that you feel and the freedom that you have right now. And so all I'm asking is that you give your obedience, your countenance, your posture, your honor to me. Without question, this is a difficult place to be. As Christians, uh, this is a really tough place to be because as Christians, I would say right now that uh, within our society and maybe even around the world, uh, in many cases, not in all, and I'm going to be very careful here, but I want to at least, again, be authentic. As Christians, oftentimes what is said as the God that we are supposed to bow down to is the ever-changing landscape of political correctness. The ever-changing landscape, and I'm not picking sides, and I'm not even going to go into names or not names. All I'm saying is there is a point that it's becoming, and it may be already past that point, very, very, not just like like straight-laced and kind of rigid, but absolutely uncool to be a Christ follower. If you do not bow down to all that the world says is the next important valued thing, and it's a difficult place to be in. Because social media might be the fiery furnace that you get thrown into if you decide not to worship at the altar of whatever is the next rightness that we're supposed to buy into. Now, 
in our day and age, if the worst thing that happens is that you get burnt on social media, then so be it. In this particular day and age, the worst thing that happens is you actually get burnt. So this is an intense situation that these men are in. For if I don't bow down to the wave of how I'm supposed to behave and believe and worship, then according to this scripture, it says that your life will be destroyed. There's three young men. These young men came with Daniel when they were uh, taken over by King Nebuchadnezzar and his empire. And they were picked out of all the nation of Israel along with Daniel to be the wisest of the council to Nebuchadnezzar. Of the foreign uh, uh, people who had been taken in, these were the wisest of them. There was Daniel, there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've said this before, but if you ever have a hard time with, with the names, um, there's a book that, I, that a teacher read me in second grade. It's not even a, believe, a, a Christian book. I think it's called The Boxcar Kids, and there's a story in there where a dad puts his child to bed, and he's, every single night when he puts his child to bed, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bed we go. And it stuck out to me for the, my whole life so that I remember being a young kid, and people were like, what are those three guys' names? And I was like, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bed and go. And it was because I remember that story. So if you ever need a way in order to remember the names, now that one's for you. And I don't, here's the only thing that ever bothered me. What a terrible story to tell your kids before bed. There were these three people that were about to be burned alive for not bowing down to, that's a side note, but just just something that stuck in my mind. Uh, These three men decide that they are not going to bow down to to the, the, the standard, the social standard. Daniel 3 15 through 18. This is what they say. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So this is, uh, this is the king and all his precepts talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for they did not bow down at the first time. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And then verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. And I love this first phrase. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. It's just this sense of of, there's so little concern in their voice. There's so little like posturing or pride or anger. And this is a complete side note, complete side note. Whenever you're speaking on behalf of the Lord, whenever you're living your life within a foundation of how God has called you to live, there is really no arrogance in it. There is really no posturing. There is no attacking. There is no great protesting. There's just a quiet sense of, oh, broken world. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not going to build my life on this stuff. For this stuff will all fade. I'm giving it away. Let me just go back to what I'm reading. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what they say. We have no need to answer you in this matter. We have no need to even answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And then I love verse 18. But if not... If we burn alive, if we are consumed here today, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
It's this beautiful, eloquent, almost musical response of complete trust in the one who brought them to that point. In our world right now, the only way that you are going to stand firm upon the rhythms and the name of God is within the shalom of his peace, and it is going to always come as harmony within the cacophony of the world's voice. It is always going to come as solid within the fluidity of ever-changing morals. It is always, always going to come as piercing within the numbing sounds and drones of people's voices as they try to raise up idol after idol to create meaning that they can control. But when you stand in the name of God, you don't have to post-aggressively exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. You just have to live as he's called you to live. And when you are pushed against that place, you can stare back at this world with incredible peace. Reminds me of Jesus standing before Pilate, and he's like, are you the king? And he's like, oh, Pilate, I am who you say I am. I'm not here to argue you. I'm here to do and be the will of God. Perhaps in some ways we need to be reminded today that we're here to do and be the will of God. Not to go out and make it happen. You know, why not just pray the fires quench out? Why not just pray the, the, the idol melts? Why not just pray the internet crashes? Right? Why not just pray that that people you agree with would suddenly have revelation? Why not bring miracle upon miracle, or better yet, some of you, plague upon plague? (laughs) When instead, maybe what you're called to do is just be you. To love deeply. To not be rocked by the spinning changes of the world. And to stand firmly with the fire, the glow of the fire flickering upon your face while you say, this isn't going to shock me. This isn't going to shake me. I know who my God is. I know how he's asked me to live and serve. I know who sets the rules. I know who builds the guidelines. I know who is the creator, and I know that I'm the created. And whatever happens, whether I'm raised to a a place of position in order to share my opinions and have them matter, or I'm muted quietly and snuffed out, my God will still get honor. My God will still get praise, and to his ends will this world spin. This is the place that these men were. This is the example that they're setting for you right now. Without question, those phrases from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are some of the most courageous words ever written ever spoken by them. For even if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to suffer a horrible, painful death in a burning oven, they refused courageously and with love to abandon God and worship that days and age idol. For their refusal, of course, the penalty for their actions was death. As believers, we know that God is able to deliver. However, we need to also remember that he does not always do so. I think sometimes we're taught, or maybe we're still teaching our children principles that we claim God is bound by. Like, like God saves all of those who are persecuted, although our definition of saving is some big giant parachute that pulls us out of the situation that many times we got ourselves in, by the way. When maybe God's definition of saving from sickness is death. 
You know how many times I've been asked to pray for people that God would heal them because they're dealing with something that is constantly reminding them of their own frailty, of their own stuff, of their own brokenness? Or how many times I've been asked to pray for people that were just a month or two from death, and I'm careful when I pray those prayers because I want God's will, and I do my best to pray for freedom because I believe that freedom is an easier concept for people to grasp. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it looks like staying and living 20 more years or if it looks like them dying a month or two after I make the prayer. But I know this. I know that every single person that has ever prayed for healing in their life still dies. Every person that prays for uh, uh, financial freedom in order to make changes in the world still at the end of their life dies without any of it. What I know is that God is in the business of redeeming his children and redeeming his world. And I know that we are called to live our lives within that framework. Should we pray for those things? Of course we should. Do we want to live filled with pain or sickness? Do we want to die before our time? No, but I'm here to tell you, if you've ever sat with an 85-year-old man a month before his deathbed, he does not feel like it's his time. Death never feels like, yeah, this feels right. Now it seems good. It just never feels that way because it's not how it's supposed to be. And so when you are seeking out God for the freedom in your life, maybe the most free you'll be is never to have money beyond your wildest imaginations because it would ruin you. So God's like, you want freedom? You want to be close to me? Awesome. You're going to live right here. And you're like, why can't I ever climb out of this? Why can't I ever succeed this? Maybe some of you, you're like, all I want to do is be married. But God's like, nah, it'd be way too distracting for you. You're just going to be single for a while. Some of you are like, all I want to do is be single. And God's like, no, no, don't pretend like it's not true. You're like, Lord, bless me with singleness. When in reality, God's like, no, within the picture of this marriage is sacrifice and mutual submission and all kinds of beautiful things that God is asking you to learn. Why don't you just instead, why don't I just instead pray to God that we have whatever he wants us to have in order for us to live our best lives? This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are praying. They're like, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, whatever happens, we're not going to worry about you. And if God wants to consume us, so be it. And if God wants to free us, so be it. Whatever he wants, that's what we're about. They didn't even pray for salvation. They didn't even pray to be removed from the situation. They didn't even ask for Daniel, which, by the way, where is he the whole time this is happening? Like, real quick, can we, can we get Daniel down here just real fast? I have questions. This fire is hot, and I don't see him anywhere. It's a whole other sermon, but where is that guy at while this is happening? We are called to live our lives in response to who God is. But Jesus Christ came and lived his best life and lived a beautiful life, and it changed everyone's life in this room and everyone's life that hears it. And yet it was full of incredible pain, incredible suffering, incredible loneliness, incredible persecution, all the things that we pray aren't supposed to be part of our story, Jesus ran into head first and said, whatever happens, God, whatever happens, I'm about what you're about. And I'd really love if you took this cup from me. I'd really love if I didn't have to do the cross and the loneliness and the darkness. But your will be done. 
This is what these men are praying as they stare into this fire. Your will be done. Romans chapter 5 tells us that God may allow trials and difficulties in our lives. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces, there's the word, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Isn't it amazing that the, that the opening of, go back to the opening verse for me real quick. Okay, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, then go back to the last verse. All of this goes through a chain of different things and ends in hope. Maybe fire. Maybe, maybe, maybe difficulty. Maybe hopelessness drives us to reach out and grasp hope better than anything else. Maybe without any of these difficulties, there would be no hope in your life. And so maybe some of the things you're dealing with right now are actually some of the greatest blessings in your story because they are driving you to your knees and to a posture of speaking to the one who created all that he is truly the greatest hope of your life. We may not always understand the purpose of our trials, but God simply asks that we trust him even when it's not easy, that we hope in him. Think about Job who endured incredible pain, almost insurmountable agony, suffering and suffering, and he was still able to proclaim this verse, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. I've had this verse used on me a lot because I have a mouth problem. So when I get hopeless, I get loud, I get articulate, and I try to speak my way out of any situation that I don't want to be in. And many, many times I've been told you're not allowed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. And I'm like, I don't know if that's fully true. This verse has been used on me before. Like you just, especially as a kid, they were like, listen, remember Job, though he slay me, I will hope in him. You need to have your focus on Jesus. And I'm like, oh, but let's listen to the second part of the verse. Because the second part of the verse says, yet I will argue my ways to his face. <laughs> Job's not messing around, man. He's like, though he slay me. I will hope in him, but I will not go down silent. I will let everybody know exactly what it is, including God. And I've always found great freedom in this verse because to me, it reminds me that God knows that we're people that are struggling. He knows we're people that have issues. And I think often we think we have to be these stoic, like, like I don't understand it, like these religious people who just march our way through life without ever huffing or, or, or shaking or looking around like, is this really happening? And I think sometimes we need to realize that even Job was like, like, listen, I will never lose hope, but I will complain all the way. <laughs> and I think that has to do with being honest with God about the reality that you don't want to. I think it ties to Jesus in the garden saying, this is not my favorite. I think it allows humanity into the picture where you get to be like, I don't want to go in this furnace, but if I do go in the furnace, I sure hope I'm saved. But even if I'm not saved... I know that Jesus still is good, and I know that he is still the hope. Maybe some of you in the room, maybe the reason you're not suffering well is because you don't tell anybody. You don't complain to God about your situation. You don't, you don't have enough relationship with him to tell him 
how you feel, and this is because you feel like he's so distant, or maybe it's because you're scared he's the one putting you through it, and you don't want to hear that. When you complain right to him, man, you get answers. When you complain right to him with other people praying for you and intercessing, when you're in that and you get word and feedback that God is walking this out in your life in order to bring good things, that is tough. But I think it still allows us to suffer with hope. In the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Acknowledgement of God over the world's most powerful king ended up resulting in God's supreme power being revealed to the unbelievers. Let's read verse 19, same chapter. It says that Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury at their response. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, and other garments. I always wondered why somebody had to write that down, but I thought it was, they were like, he's going to throw them in, like, clothes and all. <laughs> and with that, they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 22, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men. By the way, it mentioned them as mighty men, men of great power, men of great strength. It killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the guys who threw them in died. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. At this point in the story... You don't know, you're not supposed to know if you're just reading it for the first time, what exactly is going to happen. What we know, though, is that their faith wasn't just uh, lip service, that they weren't just Sunday morning Christians, that they weren't just people who said that they believed, they were people who were willing to live it out in every aspect of their lives. We can be astonished by their faith in the one true God for their response in the moment of trial confirmed, and it, I'm sorry, they can be, these, let me, no, hold on, stop the tape. These men at this point in the story became something most of us never do. We talk big talks, we say big things, but when it comes to actually funding a movement or praying for a movement or showing up to actually accomplish the movement or enduring suffering or enduring trials or enduring persecution, most of us, that's about the line where we stop. That's why the average church struggles so much financially, struggles so much prayerfully, struggles so much voluntarily, is because people love to show up and talk and listen. But when it actually is time to put in the work, it's actually time to sacrifice something, most, not all, but most people fall short right about here when there's a cost to be paid. These men were willing to pay that cost. There's three primary things that I think we can pull from their story. The first one is this. They had an unswerving conviction of the God of the Bible. They believed in the words they read. It wasn't just something they, 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 they thought about. It wasn't just something they put on themselves as a badge or a cultural icon. It was actually part of who they were. It was part of their identity. They believed in the God of the Bible. The second thing is they had a confidence in the God who is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. He was real to them. He was authentic to them. 
And they were willing to pay whatever cost required in order to maintain that belief. Last, they had a faith that's revealed by a reliance upon the only one who has the power to deliver them from evil. They were not self-reliant on themselves. And I'm going to just step onto a tiny little spiritual soapbox for just 60 seconds. So many of us in this room right now, the reason you struggle to follow Jesus isn't because Jesus hasn't revealed himself to you. It isn't because you have this deep, dark sin in your life. It isn't because you have all these habits that are keeping you from intimacy with him. It's because you are so self-reliant on him and you've built your life in such a way that there really is no spiritual risk. There really is no any, any space where you need anything more than yourself. And so really you don't have any room for God in your life. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I just know that I find myself there sometimes. I know that when I planted this church with a handful of friends, I was never more reliant on Jesus than them. I know that when this building looked like it was going to go longer and longer and longer, I've never been more reliant on Jesus than then. I know that when I struggle, when I have self-doubt, When my marriage isn't where I want it to be, I'm never more reliant on Jesus than them. But when you hear people say those things, you have to also take into what what is that statement saying? It means when things are going super smooth in my life, when my marriage is stellar, when my kids are doing well, when the church is soaring, does that mean I'm never farther away from Jesus than them? When there's a great cushion within my character, when I'm not being challenged, when I'm not facing any kind of furnace whatsoever, does that mean that I'm never further from Jesus than at that moment? I don't think it has to, but I think in my story and in many that I deal with, sometimes it's true. Sometimes we aren't asking the questions God is asking of us. We are simply asking, how can I build more on me instead of how can I build more of what he wants? I would guess that within Shadrach... Meshach and Abednego's story, they've never been closer to Jesus than when they fell into that fire. In a moment, we're going to find out literally. But it took living a lifestyle filled with prayer and belief and those three earlier things I said to come to a point where they knew that no matter what the world brought in their life, no matter what it was that was going to press in upon them, it would be Jesus Christ who would show up at the center. So my question for you as I move back into the message is where in your life right now is God challenging you to step out in faith in such a way that it would only work if Jesus was with you there? And if you have none of those areas in your life, I would encourage you to get with someone, to dialogue about it, to talk about it, to pray about it, and to ask God, where, what have you given me this stability and this abundance for? How am I supposed to use it for this kingdom? How am I supposed to use it to bring glory to you and who you are? Such faith like this has been seen innumerable times throughout the centuries by believers who have suffered martyrdom for the Lord. This, this martyrdom that, that set them aside as just average, everyday, talk-a-lot Christians, but people who actually stepped into these areas where only Jesus himself, where only the Holy Spirit himself could provide. Jesus himself said regarding these people, Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says there is an enemy that will push you 
And I believe he won't push you to risk. I believe he won't push you to, uh, to step out for your faith. I believe he won't push you to the point that, that you stand before a fiery furnace. I don't, think, I don't know if any of that is of the enemy. I think the enemy's job, and it's really, really good at, is pushing you to apathy. It's pushing you to the center of yourself, where you have a fallback plan for everything within your life, even your eternity. Went to camp one time. I got baptized, accepted Christ. I was in that play. That was a big deal for me. It's in that youth play. I even helped bring someone to the Lord with Steps to Peace. I was part of the Billy Graham crusade that came 20 years ago. I'm pretty sure my eternity is locked up. All right, I'm going to move on. I don't believe that's how we're supposed to live. I believe we're supposed to move out of our apathetic selves and ask God, where are you pushing us? Where are you encouraging us? Where are you, great word, stirring us? Where are you stirring us to step into a place where only he can provide? As a result, it says in the next verse that Nebuchadnezzar was astonished at what he saw. Look at verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> such a, such a, you could, there's so much happening in the story. First off, where are they walking around to? Are they just walking around like, this is awesome. Look at this. It says they're walking around in the fire, not just standing, but and it clearly says that Jesus is in the fire with them. I wonder what they talked about. I would have had some conversations. I wonder, you never know, right? It doesn't say what they talked about. These are questions we can ask in eternity when we bump into Shadrach at the Holy Spirit bus stop. What did you guys talk about in the fire? How good is this? And then Nebuchadnezzar tries to, like, hey, come, come out. Come out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the body of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house is laid in ruins. This guy just never reacts little does he like everything's huge it's like that's it if anybody else doesn't believe they're all gonna die and let me give a description torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other god who was able to rescue in this way then the king promoted shadrach meshach and abednego in the province of babylon the bible teaches in second corinthians 4, 5 7 that for we walk by faith not by sight the point here is that when we walk by faith, there may be places we don't want to go and certainly places that we're called to go that we probably need to just close our eyes and keep stepping. We walk by faith, not by what we see. It doesn't always make sense. It's never made sense, this whole church thing, especially in the Northwest. I get 
invited to coach at church planning things, not because Kesed is so big, but because Kesed in the Northwest is actually still here. People are like, how old is your church? You guys just heard, you're coming up on 10 years old? That's amazing. You should come talk about church planting. They don't even care how big it is. They don't care how successful it is or how even healthy it is. They just think it's amazing that within the Northwest, there's a church that started from nothing that's still alive nine years later. It doesn't make sense when we do it. But when God is leading to these places, it's the only kind of life worth living. We are called to walk by faith. We are called to recognize that Jesus is with us in that fiery furnace still today. Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The chief lesson from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that as Christians, we will never be able to bring the world to Christ by becoming like it. Instead, I'll put this on the screen. As these three men did, we should strive to reveal to the world a higher power a greater purpose, and a superior morality than the world in which we live. In this way, if we are put before the fiery furnace, we can reveal the one who can deliver us from it. Let us remember the powerful yet comforting words of the Apostle Paul as we close this portion of our talk, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are seen are unseen are eternal may you remember that today as you step back out into your world May you remember that today as you fight for that marriage, as you fight to be that representation of Jesus. May you remember today as you deal, in, deal with corruption or, or lying or backbiting or slandering or gossip or whatever it is that, is that is inside your world. May you remember today that this life will all fade away and that our greatest hope when experiencing illness, persecution, or pain lies knowing that this life is not the end, that there is life after death. That is his promise to all of us who have accepted him, who have obeyed him. Knowing that we will have eternal life with God enables us to live above the pain and suffering we endure in this life, to grasp it, to hold it, to walk it out, and to share it with people who are watching. This is what it means to be a Christ follower in a world that is ever-changing. The morality will continue to change, guys. It'll continue to decline. And Jesus Christ will bring the stableness in your life that allows you to stand firm upon him with love in your eyes, love in your voice, love in your fingertips. As you live boldly for the one who enters into that fire with you, goes where you go, who is where you are, who will never leave you and never forsake you, and who will one day bring you home. Lord, I feel in this room right now that there are so many people wanting to be filled with your encouragement wanting 
to know, God, that as things change, that they can find their foundation in you. We are beyond thankful, Lord, that you meet us how you do, that you give these kinds of examples to us. We are so blessed to be in relationship with you, God, as you bring glory through our lives, as you bring glory through our stories. Thank you, Lord, for standing in that fire with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.